The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. They're tangling in the back of the pack. Here they come off four. Down to the strike. Bush won the season opener at Talladega. DeGroote was second. He's the reigning champion. It's the iRacers download. Cardwell hoping it stays green. He nearly spins it around. Who's it going to be? Cardwell, Berkeley, or someone else? Where reality meets the virtual world of auto racing. iRacing's executive director, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think that NASCAR is starting to see the value and the opportunities that can present themselves working with iRacing. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Taylor Burris and Justin Prince. Welcome to an episode of the iRacers Download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. I'm your host, Taylor Burris. Alongside me is my co-host, Justin Prince, along with our producer, Richard Colbrett. Justin, we have a very stellar lineup of guests here tonight. Of course, from iRacing, we have Chris Leone. A little later on, we will have the NOS Energy Drink World of Outlaws iRacing Championship competitor, Cameron Merriman. And then a little later on, the voice of the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series, Evan Pasoko, joining us here tonight. But I think the biggest thing that we are all happy and ready to talk about, it's Build Week on iRacing. Yes, indeed. A lot of stuff coming through when it comes to the build for this 2022 season one portion of iRacing's calendar. The start of the 2022 calendar, in fact. A lot of great content has come to the service in turn because of the build, Taylor. But it's going to be interesting to see how discussions play out tonight. It certainly is. And to help us to discuss all of the great and wonderful content details as well as what we could see throughout the 2021 or 2022 season one season. We have Chris Leone from iRacing joining us. Chris, welcome to the iRacers download. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to uh, bring me on. I I guess I'm making up for the fact that I wasn't on the most recent iRacing downshift because I was uh, on a plane to Las Vegas for the Mint 400 and back. But um, appreciate that you're letting me get my... Equal time, I guess it is, uh, on in the uh, podcasting world. Of course, and actually gives you a little bit of time to give your thoughts on the wonderful week 13 that you didn't get to have the chance to talk about on the iRacing downshift. Ah, uh, yes, uh, the wonderful, wonderful week 13. I have actually been driving for once. Um, so I'm sorry to everybody who's been doing Super Slide, because yes, that is me um, running... Actually, I haven't been qualifying too bad. I just either haven't been finishing or I've get gotten a couple of races ended by some lap traffic. So we got we got some learning to do um, in how to get around those lappers. But whatever, we'll get there. Certainly, indeed. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the special details that have come on for this build of the 2022 season one. And we'll start off with something for the world of sports car and touring car racing with the addition of brand new TCR competitors that are part of the Michelin Pilot Challenge, as well as other TCR competition, the Hyundai TCR and the Honda TCR that has been added. I got to say, when this announcement was made, Chris, it was a surprise, but also a well-deserved addition to what a lot of people were wanting to talk about and have added on to the Michelin Pilot Challenge on iRacing. Oh, no doubt. And having more touring car content has always been a priority. It's just, I mean, as you guys can imagine, there's obviously a lot of stuff that's always in the works for us. And I think every community 
on iRacing. And this is a good problem to have because it means that we've got communities that touch on just about every form of motorsport from, you know, the off-road racing that I kind of cut my teeth in to NASCAR to sports cars to dirt oval, you know, you name it, we we touch on it. But, um, you know, we had first released the Audi TCR a while back, and obviously that was a very popular car with those who wanted to do touring car racing, but there was certainly an appetite for more. Um, we've always had a great relationship with IMSA, especially with the virtual, uh, the iRacing IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge. And, uh, you know, that series grew with more GT4s and, you know, eventually we were able to secure the additional TCRs. So the Hyundai Elantra, um, the Honda Civic, two great additions to that series, obviously, uh, very popular in the real world. Brian Herta Autosport has been running that Hyundai program for quite some time and brought the Elantra to fruition around the many different Hyundai models that have actually uh, been released in real world touring car racing. And then, of course, the uh, Civic, a very popular car globally as well. Uh, certainly a popular car with uh, the Dinner with Racers contingent. Ryan Eversley's fans have been, I think, painting every single one of his cars. I've noticed from the past few years. So that's been really cool to see as well, but it's certainly invigorating um, to that community to have tracks like that. And, you know, or cars like that, rather I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to talk about the track uh, that came with them with knock Hill, um, because I know that's been a really popular one for everybody to uh, take advantage of the Hyundai and Honda and put them through their paces for the first time. Let's talk about that racetrack a little bit as well, because that was a fairly hyped up one where it came out with not just its normal hill climb configuration, but the various different other ones, including a three turn oval configuration to add to that various number of layers when it comes to that circuit now in the service. So, yeah, so Knock Hill's a really cool track. Um, you know, as somebody who kind of goes way, way back into the off road stuff, I knew Knock Hill first for Rallycross, you know, way back when I was maybe, what, 15 years old playing it in Dirt 1, I think it was. Um, so to be able to bring that track into the modern world with iRacing is just really cool. And obviously I'm the IRX guy, so of course I'm going to hype up that. But Knock Hill, both the international and the national layouts, it's just a fun touring car track to drive. You know, it challenges you as drivers. It's got some blind corners a little bit. You know, you really have to muscle a car around there. I know that we've got a lot of fans in the UK that were really excited to see us be able to add that to all of the uh, British tracks and to be able to have a Scottish track in there, too. So, you know, I'm sure that Knock Hill is going to be popular for quite some time, um, you know, especially, again, with those touring cars that I think are just perfectly suited to a smaller road course like that. Absolutely, and I think it opens up the doors for a lot of more variety of tracks in the future, too, on top of things. We'll have to see. But, of course, a couple other configurations and courses were also made available. The Porsche Experience Center was something I don't think people were thinking about as a potential possibility as well. It was described as the most demanded track update in the history of iRacing. If I heard some of your fellow workers describe it right, in that downshift you referred to, Watkins Glen International, which has a lot of updates to its track too. Oh yeah, and we'll we'll start with Watkins Glen here because I think that's kind of the more um, the more prominent one. Yes, people have been asking for an updated Watkins Glen. 
for a very long time. Um, I love the fact that because of how popular Watkins Glen is, uh, rather than creating it as a new track and forcing everybody to buy it and license it all over again, uh, it was just an update to the build that we have. All of the layouts are the same. You know, it's just the fact that the track itself has changed over the years. So, you know, that that was kind of a way of saying thank you to the community and, you know, hey, you're not going to have to go buy this track again. Um, you know, it's just, it's yours. Um, have fun with it. Have fun with the updates that you've been looking for for quite some time. The second that that f the news first finally dropped, we just saw a wave of positive comments, people looking forward to it. I mean, Watkins Glen gets so much use because it's, you know, it's an iconic road course, certainly, but it's also a road course that people who are learning how to road race are able to kind of learn those skills with. It's not that it's not a challenging course. It's just that there's something about it that makes it very adaptable to whatever you want to drive on it. I mean, think about it. There are not a lot of road courses in the world that have had both, you know, Grand Prix Drivers World Championship events and the NASCAR Cup Series. So, you know, being able to have Watkins Glen in an updated state, that's certainly going to be popular. And yes, the Porsche Experience Center um, is probably the most novice iRacer in the office. I should probably be spending a lot of time on Hockenheim and trying to refine some skills there. Um, you know, it's it's more of a it's more of a time attack kind of track similar to how mount washington when that was released that's really more designed for time attacks it's not really designed for wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing but you know it's a great place for you to be able to test your skills as you're trying to get up to speed in racing and maybe put a car that you haven't driven before through its paces you know before you uh either take it to a time trial or start taking it to public races or you know, what have you. And that was an addition to the Hockenheim release. So if you had already purchased Hockenheim, you know, just nat on there. Um, just some new layouts that have been unlocked. So hopefully the many people who purchased Hockenheim when we did, uh, when we were able to put that out, have been uh, able to put that to use with some of the new cars that we've been releasing. It certainly is a fun layout to drive on. Had the privilege of trying out some of those layouts, and it's an absolute blast to see how those circuits are able just to get enough for time circuits, which for me personally, that's one of the things I like to do when it comes to sim racing and iRacing. But I think now we're on the topic that everyone has been talking about ever since iRacing made the announcement earlier in 2021. But the partnership that iRacing and Mercedes AMG Formula One team have come up to allow not just one, but two wonderfully made Formula One cars that are coming. The first one, of course, being released, the Mercedes AMG W12E Performance F1 car. Chris, I, I got to say, we heard a little bit on it on the downshift, but how did all of this come about to where we get to see not just the current F1, but also the future of Formula One with the 2022 variation. So I'll uh, I'll certainly encourage people to listen to that most recent downshift in our interview with James Voles over at Mercedes AMG Patronus F1, just because he'll certainly speak to it a lot better than I ever could. But you know we were we were fortunate enough that back in the spring of last year when the pandemic hit and everybody was kind of coming to this esports world 
when the Mercedes AMG Petronas F1 folks led by James were kind of pursuing different options within the world of sim racing, different platforms, different things that they might want to do with their vehicles over the years, over the coming years, you know, we were lucky enough that they kind of struck up a relationship with us and wanted to pursue building these different cars and working with us and working with us not only on their machinery, but on ways to make iRacing better as a whole. And there are things that, you know, improvements that people have seen over the past few builds that have been directly related to this relationship with Mercedes that have had nothing to do with the Mercedes AMG Grand Prix cars. You know, they have, their engineers have spent so much time helping us. You know, there's, there's a discord channel, a private discord channel that's just popping off all the time with enthusiasm between iRacing engineers and Mercedes engineers. And, you know, it, it's an amazing collaborative relationship and we're very fortunate to have it. And the WH12V performance is just kind of the first vehicle execution of that, you know, where we've been able to, again, obviously we've been committed to building multiple cars with them, and this is just the first, but it's really a groundbreaking thing for a company within the world of sim racing to be able to license and provide to its users an active Grand Prix car. Usually those cars are either at the very, you know, a lot of times they're a couple of years old because, you know, the technology may have changed or what have you, but we're now talking about an active Grand Prix car that is still competing for a championship and hell is tied for the championship lead going into the last race. I mean, that is an incredible level of faith put in by Mercedes AMG into iRacing to be able to bring that to us. Um, it's a very special relationship. It's one that we're certainly grateful for. And, you know, the community at large, you know, whether it's devoted iRacers or even, you know, more casual people who are just kind of paying attention because this is such marquee news. I mean, everybody's really seemed to be raving about it and it's really exciting. I haven't personally had the opportunity yet to drive the car just because I, you know, every time we have a build, obviously there are a lot of things going on, especially on the marketing side. And, you know, I, as I have said so many times on downshift and otherwise they don't pay me to drive. So I haven't actually taken my first laps yet. And I've been really excited to, and now that some of the promotional, you know, things that we need to get through or kind of dying down. I think I'm finally going to be able to take my first laps over the weekend. So really looking forward to that. I'm sure that I'm going to rack up millions of dollars in virtual crash damage because that's the kind of talent level that I'm at, but really excited to drive the car. Uh, it's incredibly fast. It's an incredibly fun time. And from, you know, from all the reactions, it's, it's clear how great of a job our engineers did and how helpful Mercedes engineers were, um, you know, to being, to helping us be able to bring this thing to life. It definitely has looked like a lot of great reaction when it comes to the car, to the point where drivers have taken them literally everywhere. I've seen drivers try it on dirt tracks. I think there was a race at Daytona on a super speedway the first day it came out with people trying to bump draft with it. A lot of creative possibilities I'm not sure they thought about could come through iRacing. But on that mark, 
what in terms of the changes that have not been highly publicized you think is some of the more important ones drivers need to know because there are a fair bit of adjustments for example some of the drivers i think didn't realize that say the dirt street stock had the new damage model put in until they started breaking their chassis in a an event with dirt car esports and went up into the pack <laughs> well i will say this as a notoriously impatient person uh, I think my favorite addition was the brand new ready to race button in qualifying. Um, if you mm -hmm. don't want to qualify, if you just want to start it from the back, or if you've made your attempts or what have you, you can click that ready to race button and it'll signal to the sim that you're ready to go. And ideally, you know, that means that if everybody's turned in their laps at the beginning of the session, um, then you you aren't all going to have to wait for three or four minutes or whatever it is for qualifying to wrap up. Uh, you'll just be able to get right into the race. Again, I am a I am known as a notoriously impatient person with technology, so this may be my favorite feature addition to iRacing of all time. Um, hint, hint, everybody who's listening, use that ready to race button. Uh, there are a lot of people who will become friends with you um, if you do that. So. That's my personal favorite, but um, as always, the forums have the uh, complete list of all the different things that have been added. There have been a lot of tracks added to AI. Certainly the new Watkins Glen and Knock Hill, you know, the paved layouts have been added for both of those. Charlotte Motor Speedway, the remaining paved layouts have been added. Um, but maybe my favorite AI addition is the fact that the Delara IR18 um, is finally unlocked for AI use. And that's something we've been working on for quite a while. Um, so all you IndyCar folks, you've wanted to be able to kind of simulate the uh, NTT IndyCar series for yourself. And uh, we've added a number of different tracks. The IMS Oval, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you'll be able to take it there. Uh, there have been a few others that are either current IndyCar tracks, like Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, Former IndyCar tracks like Homestead Miami Speedway, which was actually used in the IndyCar iRacing Challenge. So if you want to relive that, you're able to do that. Um, but personally, when I first get back to AI, I'm probably going to go to Nashville Fairground Speedway. Uh, I don't know what car I'm going to take. Obviously, we've got a number of great oval options. Uh, I think it might be fun to take uh, some of the Cup Series cars or really just any of the NASCAR vehicles that we've got unlocked right now take them to the fairgrounds because they're putting in so much effort into revitalizing that track and it'll it'll be really fun to see how those cars kind of race on it but there's your kind of preview of what the future might look like for nascar with nashville fairgrounds being unlocked so again mm -hmm. the forums have the uh release notes with kind of more uh more detail than i i think that we're going to be able to get into here um I could I could read you the release notes, but we'd be doing this thing into about 10 hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of detail when it comes to this. Let's put it that way. And again, want to thank you for the time. And I'm curious to see, especially when it comes to that AI you're referring to, how Breaks the Musical ended up helping them learn their lessons. Yes, that is actually <laughs> a part of the release notes as one of I... the required education courses. And can I say that's... That's not me. I wish I could take credit for those, but Alex Gustafson, oh my God, the, 
I have had people credit me for the AI courses before. I, I cannot take credit for those. Every time those release notes come out, those are a treat as much for me as anybody else. Um, I never see those courses until, you know, the proofs of that. And, oh my God, I'm always on the floor laughing. Although <laughs> I will say, I can take credit for one meme that's coming on uh, Wednesday, December 29th. And it's not officially an iRacing event but i'd like to invite both of you to drive in it if you're available that wednesday night um i am putting on a multi-class team racing event at crandon we have not tested any of this um but it's going to be a blast we think uh we're calling it the group therapy 100 uh which is named after a bar in crandon that i have uh ordered a really fantastic pizza from before but more notably, um, they regularly have the drivers tending bar on Brush Run and World Championship race weekends. Um, so we've named it in honor of the bar, and uh, it'll have four classes. One is the Pro 4, one is the Subaru WRX STI, one is the Pro 2 Lite, and one is the Beetle Lite. And it's going to be a multi-class race, uh, two or three drivers per team. And uh, we'll have pit stops. We'll have driver changes. It's kind of like a mini desert race. I got the idea flying back from the Mint 400, uh, where, you know, the Mint is a proper desert race. You've got a loop of about 100 miles. You've got driver changes. You know, it's an endurance type event. Well, we're not building a 100-mile dirt road course anytime soon, but Crandon kind of matches the ethos. The original Crandon course, fun fact, was actually about... 25 miles until they cut it down in the 70s and 80s to kind of what you know today uh, as Crandon International Raceway. But, um, you know, one to try something different, one to kind of break some eggs to make an omelet, so to speak, to see what we could uh, come up with just kind of as an experiment. And uh, I will be driving if that is any um, motivation to... That's probably more motivation to stay away. I shouldn't say that, but... um. But certainly we've got some other great media personalities. Cisco from our team at iRacing is going to be running. Um, would love to have you guys be able to drive that as well and see if uh, see how that goes. And certainly anybody who's listening, my kind of vanity Twitter account is at yes, the number two motorsport. And you can find all the information there. So if you guys want to drive that, that should be a fun time. That'll be um, that'll be interesting on Wednesday, December 29th. But yeah, come on, let's let's have a let's have you guys team up and uh, probably kick my butt if you run the class that I'm running in. But I can't tell you what now. We got to keep it a surprise. We got to keep it a surprise. Okay, we'll keep okay. that a surprise. <laughs> okay, we will. Uh, thank you very much so much for the time, Chris, and a lot of great stuff on the build. Thank you very much for the time to speak with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, appreciate everybody's support on the iRacing build, and uh, you know we'll have a lot of great additional content certainly for future builds that you know people have been waiting on um hopefully in the meantime if you didn't see what you've been waiting for yourself hopefully what came out on this one will kind of help tide you over once again that's chris leone from iRacing joining us to talk about the newest build on the iRacing service coming up after the break get the chance to speak with iRacing world about loss nas and drink sprint cars world championship series driver cameron merriman you're listening to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network, presented by Cronsu Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. 
If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportsStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportsStore.com. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosswood Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. Justin Prince, Taylor Burris with you, along with the producer Richard Colbreth, as we are now joined by one of the top drivers this season when it comes to the iRacing World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars World Championship Series. He was considered one of the favorites coming into this season, right before some of the changes to the sprint cars, and now is in the midst of the championship hunt, looking to try and pull off a big W this season and a big title for him. He's Cameron Merriman, and he now joins us on the iRacers Download. First things first, Cam, it's been an eventful season for you so far, but you have been one of the ideals of consistency when it comes to the speed. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to be here and chat with you. Um, it certainly has. It's been a difficult season. Uh, you, you mentioned it in your intro there, the iRacing developers introduced a new tire model um, in the sprint cars. And actually, to a lot of the dirt cars, the wing sprint cars were one of the last that actually were able to get it. And it really changed the dynamic and behavior that the cars um, worked. And so, you know, we've had to do a lot of work on setups. And, you know, every, and when I say we, I mean all the drivers. And there are some things that are non intuitive and maybe aren't behaving the way you might expect them to. And so a lot of people are finding speed in certain avenues that, sometimes don't make a lot of sense but um it's just the nature of of a simulation and trying to emulate reality sometimes you you can find little crevices where you can find speed that maybe you wouldn't expect trust me i've had those same discussions with a couple drivers let's put it this way some stuff can be taken very literal when it comes to the coding but mm -hmm. in terms of the racing itself so far how would you describe the start of the season because it's been almost a different tone compared to other campaigns in that it's not just the fact that the young guns have broken on through for victories and some of the drivers from late models specifically in those young guns and others have showed great speed. It's been the matter of finding consistency is like in a, finding a needle in another stack of needles, it seems. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to describe it. It's, you know, from my perspective, I've been fortunate this season that I've had some pretty decent qualifying results. You know, I when we came into last season's pro series, um, I favored myself as a pretty quick driver, but I just couldn't find the mark in qualifying. And, you know, every single season, people just have more time in the simulator. And so the edges that you're able to have over other drivers, ultimately, they start to diminish with time because those other drivers get more experience and they get to understand the nuances of the sim. And when your gaps that you're able to put on other drivers through different portions of the track state or whatever it may be, as those grow slimmer, the more important it is to stretch out every little aspect of the night you know i mean you have to view it from the top level perspective that you know when you're out there on the track racing with these guys and you don't have much of an edge real estate is king and what that means is you have to do really well in qualifying to set yourself up to do well in the heat race and carry that forward throughout the night so you know in my previous experiences i wasn't so great in qualifying but i've had a pretty decent stretch of qualifying this season which has put me in a position to not have to make some monumental run like Evan had to make at Kokomo to do well, you know? So 
Um, that's kind of my initial reflection on it. But yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. We have a lot of new people in the in the series this time around. Some new faces, you know, bringing some people with the late models who uniquely have brought their own ideas too in terms of how to build the cars. And so, you know, that's an entire rabbit hole that we could go down. But it has definitely added a a new element that we haven't had before in the series. I'm curious on that, actually, because we've spoken to a few of those drivers where they essentially mentioned they had to learn a ton, where they did not have too much experience when it came to building sprint cars themselves before a couple weeks from the drop of the green flag in the season. What's kind of your take on that, knowing some of the nuances they bring on in? Because the late models, of course, a lot more bumping and banging because of the fenders, but also built much differently where the sprint cars not so much made for weird oil contact, obviously, but also have the ability to adjust, say, the wings, which had a major adjustment angle-wise, for example. Yes, I mean, that, those, are, those are all fair and interesting points. I think that, you know, my take on that is the late model guys who've come in and found a lot of success, you know, it is certainly one challenging aspect to learn how to drive the car because, you know, fundamentally, the sprint car is a different type of beast. But I also firmly believe that they are they have come into a very fortuitous circumstance wherein the sprint car actually, perhaps interestingly, because of the introduction of the new tire model, actually drives probably more like a late model than a sprint car. You may notice if you watch the racing that, you know, the the typical way to build a sprint car is very, you know, have a lot of tilt where you've, ra you've raised up the right rear. You want it to actually naturally rotate with high stagger. And with the new tire model, there's something interesting going on with the way that the sidewalls are interacting with the track. And most importantly, if I were to give my technical take on it, it has to do with how the grip profiles function as, as a function of the slip angle of the car. Um, and so for whatever reason, high stagger setups aren't working quite as well as they used to. So you have to drive these cars which much, with much lower stagger, which inevitably makes them drive a bit more like a late model or a big block. So all that to say, I think by consequence of the introduction of the entire model, the late model guys have found a lot of success, perhaps by consequence of the circumstance that they've come into uh, through that tire model. That's actually interesting because when it comes to that discussion too, some of the drivers, I've asked about this too in terms of the potential take of how this compares to say real life for some of the various things one of the main things brought up is the Jacobs bar, which is yeah. with the exact term, how for some, it may not look like it's Big probably enough. attached. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's curious how all that comes into play to finding that exact pace to be able to figure out, okay, this is the exact side of the car it needs to lean on. Yeah, I, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting point, but I think it's it's very important, you know, when you tell me that and I think about it, yeah. I don't put too much stock ever I mean, it is useful for illustration purposes, but when we talk yep. about what the cars look like on the track, yes. I think that there is merit in that, but ultimately the physics engine that iRacing has built on that spring and that the sprint cars operate on is fundamentally discrete and separate from the graphics engine. So while it is useful to try and gain some like surface level takes from takeaways from what you're seeing on the track, you know, yep. when, when, when we talk about things like is the Jacobs slider functioning properly, to me, I always I always default on saying, okay, I can't make an assessment on that because fundamentally I know that the physics engine is operating in a completely separate fashion from what the 
graphics engine mm -hmm. is doing. In fact, you may remember, like, in previous seasons, the graphics engine would have little cute aspects to it where the tires would look like they're just barely below the surface of the track. But that didn't yes. actually have anything to do with how the physics engine was handling. It was just the mismatch of how the tires were interfacing with the dynamic tra track state. So there was nothing wrong there. It was just a, a quirk of the of the graphics engine. So, you know, I not not to say that that diminishes the interesting or or, or you know, depth of this discussion about what's going on. But for me, I don't put a lot of stock in thinking that the iRacing developers don't have an idea of what the Jacobs Ladder is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I think that it's much more of a, they have this really high fidelity tire model that has some weird quirks. And that, you know, it's interesting because when they first released it and they pushed it out and asked the the incoming pro drivers what they thought about the build, you know, Tyler Hudson being the main race director of the series, myself included, we gave strong praise for the build. Because if you go and you put a normal, like, baseline sprint car setup, you know, something that I would run in real life in, like, a 360, the car feels a lot better than it used to. Um, if you were to turn off all the timing and telemetry stuff and, and, and remove yourself from the element of trying to go faster by telemetry and what lap times you're turning and stuff, the cars feel incredible. They rotate very strongly on corner entry now, like the wing down mm -hmm. phase of the cars is very strong. And the front end gets light too at mid corner. So, you you know, if you build the setup with too much rake in it, you know, you get a little push, a little tight at, at apex, and then you really got to work with the car to get off the corner. Like all those elements are fantastic. And fundamentally the tires is a good thing. However, it was the ideas, the concepts brought in by the late model guys where they mm -hmm. went down this rabbit hole of saying, how can we build the cars in a fundamentally different way that we can find speed? And what they did is they ended up literally building it in a more of a fashion like a big block or a late model where you remove uh, a lot of that rake. You remove the the natural tilt that you find in the car and stop relying on stagger and instead rely on, you know, getting big drive off the corners by loading up the left rear and minimizing the, the slip angle of the car. And so all of these things together, it's really fascinating because in, in one respect, when they released the tire model, I was thrilled, so happy, because a lot of the real aspects that you find driving the sprint car that weren't evident in the previous build are there now. But now we've all been kind of pushed, I, I say pushed in a, in a metaphorical sense, like down this path of saying, actually, even though those builds feel good to drive, uh, we can't drive them because, you know, on this cutthroat edge of competitiveness that we find ourselves in, in the Pro Series, if you drive something that feels good but slow, you know, you're going to be up to lunch every day. Um, and that was actually kind of evident at, at this past week at Eldora. I tried to run something a bit more normal, and, and I'll use the term exotic because it's not like one of these kind of big bockish like setups. And I had very little drive off the corners in the slick. So um, it's it's very challenging to to kind of navigate and have a discussion uh, in, in terms of feedback with the iRacing developers. Because on one hand, it feels really good, but also how do we go and fix the aspects that shouldn't work? You know, like this this topic of, building them like late models and big blocks. That Sorry, is that was, some... that was a that was a long-winded stream of consciousness justice, but hopefully you can parse it. <laughs> no, that is actually a lot to take in and makes a lot of sense when it comes to the analytical side of discussing the philosophy of how you build these sprint cars. I'm curious on something as well because based on the language used and you mentioned as well something with 360 sprints. What's the real world experience like for you in terms of racing in the dirt and working with various dirt teams? I'm curious on this. 
Well, I mean, my, my experience only lends so far as, you know, in the early 2000s and mid 2000s, I grew up, um, I live currently in Maryland, but I, I spent my most of my teen years actually driving micro sprints throughout Delaware, Pennsylvania um, and New Jersey. And then just before I turned 18, I was running with the United Racing Club, uh, 360 sprint cars at with, you know, Del Mar. Um, Georgetown Speedway, places, some places in Delaware. But uh, the point of that is to say, I did all this when I was young, and then I was faced with a decision to either try and you know do something real with racing and maybe try and go pro with the World of Outlaws, or and that was my that was my father's suggestion, or uh, I took probably the better approach and decided to go to college, <laughs> and uh, went and got a degree, which I get, which has actually enabled me to speak about this much more relevantly now. I went and got a degree in physics and join the service and now I'm on the other end of that. I've left the services here after uh, doing work in, with physics for the Air Force. And so I'm back in Maryland now and um, next year we're gonna pick up uh, full-time with the United Racing Club again in 360. So um, my, my individual relationship with racing has been you know, heavy, heavily in the real world scenario, myself driving growing up. And then I took a bit of like almost a decade of hiatus and now um, on the back end of of going through all the iRacing stuff, I'm getting back into it next year. So it's been a, a a back and forth of real world and simulated experience. That's great to hear that you're jumping back to the real world car. I'm curious how you doing that now. And keep in mind, during that time period, you also joined iRacing back in 2018, around the time Dirt Action started to take off on the platform and started to become really big around that point. What drew you into iRacing and for you to say, okay, I'm going to make a run for this for pro? That's, that, that's, a, that's a good question, Justin. I, you know, back in 2018, I was, I, I've always been really big into computers, but I've never been big into like racing simulations. You know, I played Forza and stuff growing up, but was never, I, I had never even heard of, um, sorry, the name's even blanking on me now, like, R Factor, which is what all the drivers used to race in. I'd never even heard of this. So <laughs> 2018 came around and it was actually my father who brought up iRacing. And I was I was like, man, that sounds kind of gimmicky. I'm not even sure if I'm really into it. And then he convinced me to just try out. Uh, it was actually right around the Black Friday deal. So we picked that up and I bought myself a cheap Logitech wheel and pedals. And I was driving around the street stocks at USA and, and driving around a Mazda at like Phoenix uh, Raceway and stuff. And I just got absorbed by the real honest to god competition that you could find that wasn't just online lobbies driving around with a controller on a console with some yahoos you know so um it was it was by no initial means or intent to come into it and try and do pro racing i just kind of went up the natural pathway into sprint cars and i remember you know i didn't i didn't have a lot of initial success i um and, and a lot of that is to credit because when i was growing up driving sprint cars i wasn't the one making setup decisions i would just try to describe what the car was doing. And even then, it wasn't as specific and as detailed and to have the same level of, uh, you know, attention to detail that you have to have in the sim now to be really good. You know, I was just like, ah, the, uh, the car feels tight, you know, but not a specific, uh, it feels tight on corner entry, on corner exit, this phase of the corner, whatever it may be. So over time, you develop those things, be or I developed those things, and I'm sure many other drivers do, just because in that drive to get better, you know, the, the intense desire to meet the competition and beat them. And so it was actually a long multi-year process before I, I gave a, my trial to the Pro Series a, um, you know, a solid effort. And I'm glad I did because I've hung around now, I've been in three seasons and, you know, 
getting the the initial rookie kind of sense off my shoulders uh, you know some people consider me a veteran of it now I, f I feel a bit more at will to give honest feedback to um you know the the people who put on the series like tyler hudson and also the developers to try and improve the fidelity of the simulation you know my day job i do i do modeling and simulation for a completely separate purpose it's for it's for department of defense stuff but fundamentally it's it's all there are very many analogs to how you parse and break down the structure of some real world thing that you're trying to simulate in a realistic sense so i have a lot of empathy and, and understanding for what the developers go through so i try to do my best to both consider myself as a as a competitive person within the series you know make sure that i can put myself in a position to to do well and understand what's going on but also uh, at the end of the night to go give um you know constructive feedback to the developers to try and make things for the better in fact my my postscript on this story that i've just told is you know, in previous seasons, we've we've bounced around on how we do qualifying in the 410 series. And if you remember last season, we would actually qualify on a fixed percentage track state. And what would yes. happen is at tracks like Knoxville and Eldora, you'd have the entire 35 car field split by less than a tenth of a second. And with the with the competition so tight, nothing was more frustrating than being, you know, four hundredths off, which ultimately was very setup driven. And all of a sudden you're sitting, you know, starting seventh in your heat race. So you know, from, from a lot of discussion that I had with Tyler Hudson and, and other drivers in the pro forums and the pro series discord, we were actually able to enact a change where now we're actually getting, you know, around 300 laps put in during practice that get carried over into a qualifying set. So th there was a lot of reasons why that discussion was not so easy to come to that conclusion. There was a lot of nuances and interesting aspects there, but um, it's I find myself in a unique position because I'm not team affiliated. I don't need the money at the end of the series for winning to to support my myself. So um, what you'll find in, in my perspective is little things that make people fast, whether it's loving that old qualifying format or loving the big block setups that maybe shouldn't work, is the people who are really good with them often want to stay silent because they want to keep their secrets held tight to the chest. And the people who are doing poorly will speak out, but their opinions aren't aren't held as valid because people think that they're just whining because they're not doing well. So I'm kind of in this interesting position where I'm a perhaps a valued member of the community because I do well, but I'm also not out there just speaking for selfish reasons. So, you know, I've taken a lot of pride and honor in that, and I try and make sure that I um, can affect good change in the series. On that note force a lot of action to go when it comes to world championship action where can fans keep an eye on you on social media to keep up with your action and racing and be able to follow along with the real world side that's coming up in a few months from now too yeah i mean on the real world side i i, I don't have too much to say on the iRacing side obviously if if people are interested to to get in touch with me i'm i'm very reachable on on facebook and otherwise but i don't i don't have a huge social media presence but that doesn't mean that i'm not super interested to talk to anybody who wants to have a conversation but obviously next year going into urc um there'll be a lot of obviously content that'll show up on flow racing and whatnot but um i'm i've got the whole setup for the in-car gopro so i intend to have some stuff uploaded to youtube so i'm sure i'll i'll tag everything with my name so um hopefully that'll be an interesting type of format you know in this previous season um kevin swindell's team was did the same thing for all of his shows with the uh, all-star circuit of champions and world of outlaws when he would race with Darren and Pip and whatnot. And I think that's a really fascinating, great way to show what actually goes on um, at a night at a real world, real world race. So 
I really loved his content, so I'm going to try and emulate that a bit for myself. So certainly if you're interested, just probably type my name in sometime next year on YouTube, and I'm sure I'll show up. <laughs> thank you very much once again for the time, Cam. All right, thank you, guys. That's Cameron Merriman. He's currently second in the point standings for the guy racing World of Outlaws Nasa New Drinks Sprint Cars World Championship Series, which currently is approaching its midway point of the season. When we come back, we'll talk a bit about some more of the action going on throughout the iRacing world. But with that, you're listening to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network, presented by Karatsu Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportsStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportsStore.com. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. Taylor Burris here along with Justin Prince, our producer Richard Colbreth, and a very informative uh, interview with Cameron Merriman, Justin. A lot to take in, and I think a lot of people who listen to this episode will be able to get a better understanding of the sprint cars, as well as even a better understanding of how the how to drive them, race them, and even build with them, because these cars are so exciting to drive and are part of the iRacing community that has that special group of people. Absolutely, especially when it comes to the peeling back of the curtain and also felt like when it comes to the decisions some of the drivers are currently making setup-wise and the pressure he mentioned to when it came to the qualifying because honestly didn't think about that connection of the fixed total for the track usage leading to those tight qualifying sessions, which explains now with the way it's done now with the manual warm-up sessions, how the track sees a bit more separation in terms of the times. A lot of intrigue and a lot of information brought apart in about in those past 15, 20 minutes. It certainly was. And speaking of Cameron, he finished in sixth position at the next round of the World, iRacing World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series at Eldora. But it was a back-to-back -back win for none other than James Eden, who took home the win there by just a little over three hundredths of a second, just about. Yeah. And just shows the intensity and the competition of the World of Outlaws series on iRacing. I think that undersells it, actually, Taylor, because here's the thing. Edens did it with winning just the final lap of that race, pulling off the final corner move in slide job at that racetrack at Eldora because Hayden Cardwell dominated much of the night. But James Edens, as the race progressed, got better and better long run. And one of the things Edens mentioned was he noticed Cardwell seemed to be a little more looser at the end of that race when it came to the track progression. And I think that became a big part of the difference to set up Edens to have a chance to battle. Evan C., Kendall Tucker, Blake Majula's the top five with Merriman in sixth. Give a shout out, though, to some of the drivers who made some good headway to the, in that race. Brayden Shute, Tyler Shell, Shea Powell, Adam Albee, all top 10. Some of those drivers needed good finishes with how the season's been progressing. Certainly has, and with that, that moves James Eden back up to the points lead by just a little over close to 20 points separation between him and Cameron Merriman. Blake Majulis rounds out your top three. He has a one-point advantage over former champion Alex Bergeron as they get ready 
to head to the home of the Pennsylvania Posse, the Williams Grove Speedway next Monday night. Justin, what can we expect briefly on that as we head to another world-famous dirt track in North America? I think it's going to be a race where we see them all at the line progression, obviously, but in the past, the races have been, it seems if you're on the top out of turn two, you get the better run. If you're on the bottom out of turn four, you get the better run there. With how the cars have changed in some of the discussions Cameron Merriman brought up, I'm curious if someone tries to just wrap the bottom the whole way around, like we've seen our Kokomo in some of the air circuits this season, and makes that work to where in the second half of the event, once, say, those middle and top lines are too slick, that bottom line is rolling so quick the air drivers can't respond. It might be down to, again, the race of who's figured out the right way to set up the car and be able to get that preparation on down because Williams Grove has been a race track, keep in mind, with a lot of wild moments in its history in the series. It certainly will be. And of course, you will catch Justin leading the commentary booth of that event next Monday night, starting at 9 p.m. But as we leave the world of dirt racing, we leave the news of the build, we still have one more thing to talk about. And that is, of course, the E-NASCAR Contenders iRacing Series. They were at the Monster Mile this past Tuesday night. And it was Low Lines Racing's very own Dylan Alt who took home the win by a little over seven tenths of a second over North Force Racing's Colin Keister. And the intensity of this championship to see who will be that new top 20 that will race next season in the E NASCAR Coca Cola iRacing series in 2022, Justin, just got more intensive from a mix of drivers who really showcased their talents this weekend. I think the biggest one for me has to go to Liam Brotherton with Elliott Sadler Esports, a team that was doing some small bits of gains. But that night, seeing Liam leading the race and finishing with a third place, that was most impressive, I would have to say, at least for me, out of the drivers racing this past week. And the main thing to remember is, First of all, the top five doing out, Colin Keister, Liam Brotherton, Donovan Strauss, who's had a lot of movement when it comes to his technical alliances the past week, Kyle Peddle. Keep in mind, when it comes to Elliott Sauer Esports, they do have a history of working together with Loadline Racing. Shouldn't be surprised to see some of the pace there, but the main thing that should be emphasized in the case of this race was it came down to a fuel mileage one because of the caution flag timing, right? So for a lot of drivers, it became the strategy of do we push early and then save? Do we try and split the race up in half? Do we try and save very hard early in the midst of the traffic, then start trying to run on forward? It became one of the most intriguing strategy races in the history of the Contender Series, honestly, because it really challenged not just the drivers, but also the crew chiefs and crew members to figure out what's going to be the best way to do this. For drivers like Dylan Alt, it was the matter of, well, first of all, if you have Garrett Mashburn on your team like Lowline does as their director, hold on to him tightly, never let him go. That's the opinion in that regard because he was a big master of that strategy and set up for that night. I feel like Dylan Alt in turn with the traffic where he was before that caution flag and where he cycled for the restart had a big factor in the fuel save. Then you have drivers like Colin Keister who are among those drivers really saving hard than trying to push ahead. By the time he got towards the front, the tires were gone. Because you also have to remember at Dover, drivers had to push the longest they had to go to the point where they're nearly blowing their tires out. Liam Brotherton is the biggest example of why qualifying is so important. He was in the mindset once he got up to the lead and how things cycled about that if he had qualified up at the front all season, he would have been winning some of the races this season. 
He said that during the race over the radio. So for Liam Brotherton, that was a massive, massive confidence booster, I think, to show if he wasn't qualifying in the mid-pack, he might have been in the conversation for the championship with how he drove that race. Now it's a matter of keeping it up. But the biggest swings and misses when it came to the strategy, keep in mind, drivers like Nicholas Shelton, he's plummeted, Taylor, to outside the top 20, despite being the leader in laps led in the series. It's been that type of a contender series swing where some of the top drivers speed-wise early have fallen off a cliff based on strategy and luck. It certainly has. And of course, you will see how these drivers will be able to tackle another tricky and treacherous circuit as they head to Darlington next Tuesday night. Let's see if these drivers can put on their best suits and get ready to dance with the lady in black. And we will see who will be able to conquer that track, which will provide a lot of more different strategies and a lot more, I would say, interesting chaos and just excitement as we come to a close for this season. I think so, because Darlington, it's an air track where if you don't qualify well, good luck making it to the field, because it's one and a half groups essentially around the circuit. You'll essentially need some attrition as well as strategy to pick up a lot of spots, then be a roadblock if, say, you go with the undercut. When it comes to the final race at Texas, that track is also very treacherous, because turn one and two, if you're not on the bottom, you're going backwards likely. If you're not at the bottom for turns three and four, it messes up the rest of the lap for the next time around two. So it's the two tracks where qualifying are going to be is going to be so incredibly important, where if you botch it, you're in trouble. It certainly is, Justin. And of course, you'll catch the action next Tuesday night at 9 p.m. at Darlington. Well, we have one more special guest joining us coming up after the break. It is the voice of the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series, Evan Pasoko. You're listening to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportStore.com. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. And we are here with our final guest of the evening. He is the voice of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. Evan Pasoko joins us. And Evan, I got to say, it's an absolute pleasure having you on this show. And I got to say, 2021 with the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series has been one for the ages, I would have to say, with how the championship was, the new teams that came involved, and overall, just the racing in general was phenomenal in the final year with the Gen 6 car. Yeah, no, I, I sound like a broken record when I say it so many times, right? But that series gets so much more competitive year after year. And, you know, the way that we kind of have our mini version of the NASCAR playoffs, right, where you have one elimination around and we, you know, much quicker get to a four-driver championship can kind of leave us in a situation where maybe some of the best drivers wouldn't always get there to the end, right? But I think, like, what you saw in the NASCAR Cup Series 
is the exact same thing we saw in the Coke series this year. The best cars made it to the title fight, and I think the best car in the end won the championship. And it was certainly memorable, right? I mean, a way to, to kind of send off the Gen 6. I think it's an era of eNASCAR that we'll look back on very fondly of. It certainly is in 2020. What has to be your favorite moment of this season in 2021? You know, there's there's so many different ones. Um, you know, we, you talk about some of the the better races that we've seen. Um, seeing new drivers get in. Uh, you know, the Vicente Salases, seeing Bob Bryant. You know, find himself to victory lane. Um, but I really have to go um, to to you know just the the whole playoffs. Because um, one thing that we've kind of talked about, um, you know, internally, and I see the fan chatter as well is. You know, this is a NASCAR sanctioned series. And I think for the last, you know, a couple of years ago, a lot of people would say, you know, NASCAR didn't promote the series that much, right? And I think that the the standard that was set in 2020, when there was so much attention on the series, you're not going to get back to that, right? Um, but I think that the engagement that we saw from the fans and how involved that NASCAR was and the production quality of those shows and, you know, just how involved everybody was in, in making that four race playoff such a success. Uh, was, I think, uh, you know, very enlightening. And I think it shows that this series um, is on the up and, you know, has many years of success still to come. So I think that's only going to continue as we work into 22. It certainly is. Now, let's take a step back a little bit into your history of how you got involved with iRacing. You joined iRacing back in 2013 and have been a well-known and well-respected voice in the world of esports broadcasting. But what drew you into the world of iRacing? I actually um, got involved first um, by watching the Coke Series broadcast, right? I mean, at the time, it was the uh, the iRacing Oval World Championship Series and, you know, DWC, and it kind of went through a couple of different versions of the name over the years. Um, but I would watch those PSR TV shows on YouTube, and I'm like, that looks really fun. Um, because, I mean, a lot of people in this, uh, you know, part of the esports world, right, sim racing and iRacing and NASCAR, they've been NASCAR fans forever. I was kind of a late bloomer. Uh, I didn't really start watching until 2011, 2012. Um, so at that same time, I was, you know, watching on, and I played a lot of video games as well. I had all the NASCAR console games and, you know, back a couple of years. Um, but I was just watching the, the broadcasts on YouTube. I'm like, that looks fun. But I, it's funny enough, I never really had a huge desire to drive. So I signed up for iRacing in 2013, and I actually bought, you know, a USB microphone before I bought my wheel and pedal set. And at that point, you know, it was a very different broadcast landscape to what you have now. I mean, the shows that, you know, the dozens of broadcasters out there can do is incredible. Back in the day, there was only three or four, right, that just could do it generally. Um, so I, you know, signed up for iRacing, bought a microphone, didn't have a wheel or anything, and just started sending emails around and, and got a couple of people who responded back and you know, did a couple of months of pit road reporting, which, you know, wasn't even a paid thing at the time. I was just doing it for, for hands-on experience. And um, I think I was very fortunate to get into it, Taylor, at that time, because, you know, it's a whole lot more difficult with how many people are involved now um, to do it. So I just got real fortunate in timing. And, you know, I didn't really have any sort of, uh, you know, preconceived desires of like, you know, I want to get into broadcasting or anything like that. But I just, you know, started watching the DWC stuff on YouTube and like that looks like it would be fun to do. And uh, I guess it's worked out pretty well. It certainly has. And of course, as you've noticed the constant change as well with the world of esports commentating and broadcasting, 
What are some of the things that you noticed that have been maybe a surprise or something that you were impressed on how the world of technology when it comes to esports commentating and broadcasting have changed, especially over within the past couple of years with, you know, the pandemic of 2020? Yeah, I mean, there's there, so much that has changed, but also so much is the same, right? I mean, um, you know, when you talk about the on-track product, um, you know, there's so many new, at least at the eNASCAR level, right, high-profile teams getting involved. But when you look behind the scenes on those teams, a lot of the people that are kind of at the foundation of those, unless you're talking about some of the really green organizations, but a lot of those teams have sprouted from some of the older teams. So I, I don't think an old guard is the right word, but this you know, community is now being run by people who founded this stuff, right? Back a dozen years ago when the DWC all started. So uh, there's obviously a lot more resources on the driving side of things, right? I mean, the hardware um, has come a long way. Um, you know, drivers are able to get so much data with different programs and these teams have testing drivers and, you know, test programs and stuff. So in, in a lot of ways, the driving has, has changed a lot, but it's the same, right? It still comes down to people putting in, you know, thousands of hours and grinding things out. And I think the same thing can be true on the broadcast side as well, right? I mean, when I started doing it, um, you know, there was only a handful of people doing these things. Um, I was terrible. Um, so don't go back and listen to any of my 2014 racing calls because they're just terrible. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, those were three person, you know, three person shows. We had a producer and maybe two commentators. Um, and now, you know, when we do a Coke broadcast, you're talking 25 people involved, right? So I think that's the difference. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, um, you know, just down to the money behind it and the fact that there's so many more resources available to us, and especially with iRacing and their partnerships with so many different groups that allow those broadcasts to look so good. I think it's just the number of people, right? I mean, you look at esports, generally speaking, and the sim racing community is still very, very small compared to a lot of those other aspects of it. Um, but in the last, you know, eight years, even down to the last, I think, three years is kind of big, the bit, you know, been the big boom. Um, we have seen so many more people get involved. And that's why, uh, you know, it's, it's super competitive from behind the wheel and, you know, in a broadcast booth. It certainly is. And if, if you also think about it, the world continually will progress. And as we know, with 2022 coming up here, not very, very soon, as a matter of fact, you know, the season's just right around the corner where they already started the iRacing 2022 season. What do you think we could expect with some of the drivers returning, some drivers maybe who are about to make their rookie debut in 2022 and possibility of maybe some new or returning teams? Your thoughts on what to expect in 2022 and why possibly this could be a season to remember? Well, it's always interesting, you know, the latter to get um, to the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series as you go through, obviously, iRacing's official race ladder. But then, you know, when you get to the qualifying series through Road to Pro, you're racing in a truck. You're racing in an Xfinity Series car, and then you're racing in a cup car. And it's always been interesting to see, you know, how somebody like a Ray Alfalo, right, would struggle in this modern-day cup package, drop down to the uh, B Series, right, go down to the qualifier series and just dominate, right, tear it up. And that's just the different kind of challenges in those cars. And, you know, the big question is, obviously, the next-gen car, right? Uh, we haven't seen, 
you know, more than six cars race together in the Gen 6 car or the next gen cars in real life, but we've been racing on them in the sim for some time, right? So I think that there's going to be pretty significant changes coming to those next gen cars and how they race on the sim once NASCAR makes a couple of decisions over the next couple of weeks headed into Daytona, right? So obviously the biggest question is the car. Um, it has been a long time since we've seen a new car. And when you look at NASCAR history, Taylor, the Gen 6 era of cup racing is a very, very small segment of it. But when you look at the history of the Coke series, the Gen 6 era is the vast majority, right? So it has been a long time since we've gone through this kind of a change. And I think that really benefits a lot of the young talent coming up. I talk about how the numbers, I think, is the biggest thing that's changed, right? There's more people watching. There's more people driving. And I think that... Once upon a time, you'd have, you know, maybe five, six rookies squeak in right at the field of 40 or, you know, when it was 50 at the time. And that was, you know, all right, they made it in and you didn't expect them to do much. But I think that there's so much talent, right? There's so many people nipping at the heels of the guys, you know, who get relegated down. That on top of the fact that we're going to a new car, I think I would not be shocked at all if we're getting close to, you know, three or four out of 10 races being won by rookie drivers. I think we're at that point where you can't sell off a young driver, right? If a driver gets up to the Cup Series in real life for the first time, we're talking about that learning process, right? Because you can test how much you want, because these vets don't have a ton of experience and that upper hand in these next-gen cars, this could be, I think, the most wide-open season we've ever seen just because of those factors. It certainly is, and we look forward to seeing that kicking off sometime in the middle of February. Evan, as we come to a close on this interview, two more points I wanted to touch, touch on briefly. One, your thoughts on having the privilege to commentate these world championships, these special moments. And finally, also the chance to work with some of the biggest names in motorsports and motorsports broadcasting. I mean, you yourself had even the privilege of being on NBCSN, not just once, but a couple of times in your career with commentating for the Coca-Cola iRacing series. Yeah, when we did the, you know, those live NBC shows a couple of years ago, you know, the very first All-Star race one that we did was super weird, right? I mean, we had we nobody really knew how to do it. And at that point iRacing didn't even have, you know, their broadcast studio built out of their office yet, right? So that was all getting handled kind of through third parties. And it was weird, right? Because I was on a Zoom call. Uh, I couldn't, you know, directly talk to Steve and Parker, who were on the broadcast with me. I just kind of had to talk until the producer said, hey, they're going to talk. And then we stopped. And, and it's come a long way, right? I mean, we had the championship race a couple of years back live on TV, uh, you know, working with Steve Letarte, uh, Parker Kligerman. I mean, you know, I'm a Jeff Gordon fan growing up. So working with Steve Letarte is is pretty damn cool, right? Um, but those guys are, are super cool, right? I mean, they're so invested in the series, especially Parker with everything he does with his team, Kligerman Sport, and even outside of the Coke series. Uh, it, it's just truly a privilege. And that's why I say that I think I'm just very fortunate because I got into it when I did, right? There was no master plan when I started this back in 2013. Like, yeah, you know, that DWC series, I want to do that, you know, in, in three years from now or four years from now, right? Whatever the timeline exactly was. There really wasn't that plan, right? This wasn't, uh, I don't want to say a career field, but this wasn't a thing that people got into. Like, I'm going to do sim race broadcasting, you know, a lot of the time. Um, and I just got real fortunate, right? I think it's it's truly the coolest thing that I get to do. Um, it's shaped you know, what I want to do professionally for my life. I mean, I got involved in this when I was in high school. 
since I got involved with iRacing, I've you know gone to university. I've graduated with my bachelor my bachelor's degree in journalism and media studies. Um, it's it's truly shaped my life. I've been able to meet incredible people. Not only working with Steve and Parker and some of the other people we've had on these shows, uh, you know, not only doing those NBC events, but getting to know people at NASCAR, getting to know you know everybody at the iRacing office, and having gone to you know visit people at iRacing and NASCAR, and you know some of their partners at the tracks and whatnot. So it's it, it's it's really cool. And, you know, I, I'll i still do the, the Monday Night League race, Taylor, right? I mean, I'm not just, yo, I'm doing the Coke series, so I don't want to do anything else, right? I, I mean, that's, you know, where the passion is for me. I'm always going to be commentating, you know, whatever sim race is, is on the docket. So it, it truly is, I think, yeah, like I said, the, the coolest thing that I get to do. And I just have to try to re remind myself to not lose sight of that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a big deal. Right. I mean, we, we do want to work hard and take things very serious to make these shows good. But at the end of the day, you got to have fun with it, because if I'm not having fun, the viewers aren't going to have fun and uh, I'm still having fun. So I, I plan on, you know, stick it around uh, for some time. Well, Evan, as we come to a close, where can people go to follow you on your broadcasting as well as other things that you like to do? Yeah, I mean, you guys can follow me on on Twitter at Evan Pasoko. Um, I you know tweet about iRacing stuff, uh, sometimes about hockey and basketball if my teams are losing or if they're winning. Uh, but of course, I you know outside of the the iRacing broadcast space, I'm also an audio visual manager with Monster Jam. So if you're a fan of you know things with four wheels and horsepower, I'm always posting stuff uh, from our Monster Jam events and you know travel around the country doing that on the weekends and then doing the sim race broadcasting uh, on the weeknights. But uh, you know you can probably just find me if you're just tuning in to the iRacing live portal at any random time or you know any kind of iRacing broadcast. Who knows? I might pop up because I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of jumping into whatever I can. So uh, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll catch you guys around Taylor. I'm sure we'll be on shows and, and whatnot in the future going forward. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll be around. I promise. We certainly appreciate your time. That is Evan Pasoko, the voice of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. And this has been the conclusion of this week's episode of the iRacers Download. For Justin Prince, my co-host, for Richard Colbreth, our producer, and for our, all of our guests that we had here on tonight, of course, Chris Leone from iRacing, Cameron Merriman from the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Rank iRacing World Championship, and Evan Pasoko. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the iRacers Download, presented by Crosley Radio on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media.